Welcome to NFT Sundays, a weekly conversation around art and technology, brought to you by Dementi and the Museum of Crypto Art. Hello, and welcome back to NFT Sundays. I am Colborn Bell of the Museum of Crypto Art. I am joined today uh, in exceptional gratitude to you with the artist uh, Rhea Myers. So thank you so much for joining. Hi, you're very welcome. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'd like to start, as I ask everybody to start, um, if you would please tell us, you know, about yourself, your journey, and uh, how you came to be in this wild world. Totally. So I'm from the UK originally. I went to art school um, in the 1990s, ending up at the Centre for Electronic Arts at Middlesex University in North London. And so I was exposed to sort of digital art and I, I soaked up um, art history, particularly um, early computer art and conceptual art. And um, net art was around at the time, but I didn't really understand it. So I wasn't like a net art visionary, unlike some of the people who are now. Um, getting involved in, in NFT stuff again. And then I sort of carried on making art and sort of just using it as a way to understand the world, really, just sort of as, as the world kept changing around me, I kept on making art and then sort of this led me eventually after I moved to Canada about 10 years ago after marrying a nice Canadian to um, just to like recognize what I was seeing in sort of very dingy basements in Vancouver with people being incredibly excited by a new technology sort of much more so than someone should be excited by <laughs> you know a, a new widget or a, a new minor version of an operating system so I thought oh yeah this is this is familiar to me from from the net art era and I didn't really understand that so I, sh I should look closer at this to make sure you know I'm not missing something here and so of course the, the way I dove into understanding that was was making art and so like by 2014 I sort of bounced off of the making art with Bitcoin in, in 2011 because, you know, everyone who encounters the blockchain has this classic hero's journey structure of they, they hear the call to adventure and they're like, yeah, I've, I, I'm ignoring this call to adventure. It can, it can come back later if it really wants me. So, yeah, by 2014, um, I was really immersed in the technology and, and the culture and making... Yeah, all, all different kinds of art to sort of work out not not just how the technology works, but to sort of feel my way into the political imaginary behind it to this very sort of cypherpunk, but also post financial crash vision of a, an alternative social order with a very specific model of justice. It's a recognizably anarchist model of justice in that you remove um, unjust interference in social relations from the state or from an equivalent to the state. So, um, yeah, I was, I was digging into this and, and sort of trying to explain to my nice art world friends that there's something interesting here and sort of most of them just didn't quite um, 
I didn't quite get what was going on there, and they were put off by Bitcoin's strongly libertarian um, associations, which is more than fair enough. Um, and so I, I was sort of, I, I find myself trying to create this dialogue between the art world and the crypto scene, which in the way I wanted it to wasn't happening. Uh, and then over time, sort of other people who also from the art world had much more success than me with sort of creating um, token platforms and art projects and even sort of art standards and art standards, so sort of uh, blockchain standards for artworks and for tokens. And so by 2018, I sort of felt that the, 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 a blockchain art world had come into being and um, I had sort of really, really, really not predicted its precise form, but it was utterly bizarre to now have, to then have a blockchain art world to be positioning myself in relation to having sort of four years previously been sketching out in code on the Ethereum pre-release test net like the barest suggestion that you know maybe there could be a blockchain art world and that this might be good for people in, in both the crypto scene and the art scene um, and the art world and we should possibly have a look at this so yeah that was when i i sort of finally really went into to nfts to start making those to see again how you know actually existing blockchain art world technology functioned it's, it's really incredible. And I think I'd like to trace this story linearly. Uh, if we could, I, I think a lot of the, the artwork you were creating was putting into the world questions that still persist today. Um, so maybe if you could talk a bit about your first projects on Bitcoin. Yes, so I crafted some real transactions containing, um, data that, that was not financial data. Now, I ob very obviously wasn't the first person to do this. There's an article which you can still find digging through all of the non-crypto transaction data on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, like someone hashed the, the white paper into the blockchain. Um, someone put, I think, a portrait of Nelson Mandela or something in there as ASCII right. art. So this, you know, people were using this, this technology, but um, I was interested in the idea of proof of existence, which was a big idea in the crypto scene at the time. And sort of, it, it is well understood within the, uh, the, the crypto scene, what existence is, what proof is, what proof of existence is. However, there's a lot of mischief you can have, and indeed entire careers you can have, by confusing terms of art between different domains. So existence and proof in philosophy are very, 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 very different from what they might mean in uh, you know to, to a competent cryptographer so I was sort of playing with the conceptual background to this um, in a way that um, if you're a philosopher looks like you haven't understood what existence is and if you're a cryptographer you haven't understood what proof is but this is what you get to do with art you get to misunderstand concepts whether deliberately or otherwise and find creative new uses for them which um, 
other people later commercialize. So yes, I, I hashed the genome um, that I got from 23andMe for me into the blockchain. I now greatly regret having got my 23andMe genome doing, but I was young and naive and curious about, you know, the, my genes. So yeah, I, I hashed, um, sort of I placed the hash of that into the blockchain as a way of establishing that someone um, with at least the same genetics as me had existed from this point on and that that was a sort of very fundamental I, I exist I, I am depicting myself sort of statement which which later like I think there were various companies that were like yeah we'll store your genome on the blockchain and I was like <laughs> no no if someone does it as art it's probably a fantastically bad idea to try and commercialize it and th the other one I did like that was hashing the word god onto the to the blockchain um just to prove that, that god exists checkmate atheists so um again this is a horrible 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 confusion of of concepts quite deliberately to illustrate the limitations of um of, of the kind of proof and the kind of existence that can be established generally um applied very particularly to the blockchain super thank you um i'd like to then I think go into the the extension of, of colored coins and what you saw yes. with rare pepes as well. Yes, so um, I didn't use colored coins. I called I called projects colored coins um, because once again I was being extremely naughty with the naming <laughs> and concepts from uh, Crypto Land. But yes, I, I made some. Uh, Doge Party tokens. So Doge Party was the Dogecoin based um, copy of, of Counterparty, the Bitcoin based early um, token system. And Artcoins Coloured. It's sort of, they're, they're this notional asset. Each one describes um, not what I think a particular kind of art is, but what I felt the market would respond to. Um, so there's a sort of um, a sort of young East Asian art, a very serious classical European art, um, sort of very techno Berlin based, you, you know, sort of different market segments in a global art economy, which um, owning either the concept of or shares in would, would really put you ahead and so um yeah that those, those were doge party tokens doge party didn't take off um just to continue to illustrate my um lack of genius as a chooser of successful technologies um doge party being cheaper and faster than counterparty didn't see it winning out and the this was the main service for it went offline until they were revived um a few months ago which was quite bizarre so i yeah i moved the tokens to counterparty and sort of sent some of the critical coins which was another one to various people and the one that i did make in that series which everyone always wants but i can't sell because my wife won't let me she insists that my soul belongs to her um is my soul which is um a a, a doge party later counterparty token representing um my, my immortal soul divided up into a hundred fungible 
units um, to ensure that my salvation will be efficiently allocated by the market. And this um, sort of, I, I always raid art history for the, for the sort of visual or conceptual language that I'm using, because it's a hard enough sell getting people to engage with blockchain ideas. And if you have to get people to engage with that sort of a novel uh, a novel visual presentation of them, then you've got at least twice the battle. So I just cheat and use sort of art historical references. But yeah, this uh, this was a this was inspired by some work that the expat Soviet artists Komar and Melamid did in the United States in the 1980s, where they set up a company to to buy and sell human souls and then they bought a few hundred souls including Andy Warhol's soul which they later resold in Russia and then you can see how this sort of relates to um, sort of you know your, your soul being for sale under capitalism or having to sell out as an artist and sort of people were already worried about um, blockchain creating new kinds of property or extending the reach of property, the reach of ownership and exclusive ownership and the reach of financialization. And absolutely sort of if, if you're someone who believes in souls, then probably the worst possible thing you can sell is, is your soul. Um, and so sort of taking, taking this example and fractionalizing it, I, I felt was a, a nice way of capturing the, the horror of this, as some people see it, in in a playful way, but also in a critical way. Because you know, I'm fairly certain that if I have a soul, then it's probably not tied to these tokens. But yeah, it was a it was a nice way of, of sort of already starting to work with with the anxiety of ownership that we see in the blockchain space. And, you know, I think it's a, a wonderful segue into kind of really the next stage, which which seemed to be Rare Pepe's. Yes, yes. So um, I can't quite remember the timeline because I, I think I was using Counterparty before Rare Pepe's, but when I met the Rare Pepe's um, guys, just like what, what they did with, um, with the platform was amazing because, um, like a scribe predates them, a monograph predates them, uh, my little Ethereum art market sketch predates them. But they created the the terminology and the user experience, which sounds very sort of cold, um, businessy way of looking at it. But like just the the engaging and rewarding and easy and logical and inspiring way that they structured the releases of tokens that they themed the tokens that they created a website that you could you know browse through um, generations of tokens and see them and that that was for me that just really brought a lot of things together and um, it brought it together so much that the next phase of um, art markets, of NFT art markets, once NFTs became a thing, were called rare art platforms and people talked about rare digital art and they had this same sort of curated and uh, presented 
range range of art very much um filing the serial numbers off of uh rare pepes and then presenting it to the world and the problem was that there was a spirit of deep irony to rare pepes it was a, originally an image board thing where people were sharing the quotes rarest dankest images of pepe the frog um, a, a cartoon character who was claimed by the outright before he was reclaimed by everyone else who actually liked him. And um, so, you know, if you have sort of rare dank images, then these should be worth something. And so people did sell them on, on, on eBay. And then sort of from this, it was a logical next step when this token system came along that could represent these digital images digitally and establish that actually, you know, this image is, which everyone knows is infinitely copyable, is in fact limited edition. Um, you know, it, you can see how it flows from, from the original um, sort of, you know, playful image board, I don't say banter, but like culture of, um, of, of finding rare images in, in the sense of fine images and that then becoming um, the concept of rarity and the concept of a limited edition. And this, this all makes perfect sense and it, it sort of, it flows through and then it's just sort of rubbed out of the, the record with a gummy eraser when you get to the rare art era. And so, yeah, lots of people who are criticizing the idea of, of NFTs and rare art are, are doing so um, in, in a way where they are taking um, the idea of rareness, of scarcity, of um, things being limited edition as sort of first order serious claims. Whereas originally um, with Rare Pepes, they were there in a very playful way. And with the people um, with, with art world backgrounds, as Kevin McCoy reminded me on the panel the other month. Like we, you know, we, we were not into blockchain uncritically in order to make money. I, I very deliberately stayed the heck away from trying to make money from it for years. We were there because it was a tool to um, hopefully, you know, provide some actual value to artists and artists like everyone else need to eat and pay rent and get meds. And sort of, if you're an artist, you also need to buy equipment and stuff. And um, because this technology was produced as, as a, the kind of critique of wider society of the ideas that, that structure our wider economy, the artists are always claiming they wish to engage with so yeah there's, there's this big sort of lost memeplex um of of far more critical potential than the um very successful and very useful and very good token marketplaces that people coming in post nft boom take as a given and as the starting point for their critique not just of what nfts are but of what blockchain art can be and yeah rare pepes are a very nice starting point for finding an alternative um historical and, and critical way in to nfts certainly major precursors to stuff like the right click save as meme uh, oh yes yes yeah right, right click save as like that completely fascinates me it's like sort of <laughs> 
hey, I can right click this image and save it. And it's like, yes, yes, you can. Yeah. Right. I, I don't understand. Aha, but I now own the NFT. Well, no, that's the one thing you don't own because the NFT is a cryptographic signature on a public ledger. And uh, but I but but I've right clicked it and saved it. Okay, look, <laughs> I, I I totally understand what you are saying. We are not disagreeing here. You, you've recreated some of the impetus of it. So yeah, it just. But yes, no, that's de definitely yeah. That sort of it, it's a sieve. Um, like rare, rare Pepe's is more more like someone had found a way of turning the right click save joke into an actual com creative community, rather than just something people say on Twitter. <laughs> I think also precursors to a lot of the remix culture we see uh, a lot of the CCO movements. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was massively into Creative Commons from the early two thousands, and sort of all of my um, pre uh, pre blockchain image work is under a Creative Commons license, except where I'd get hit by lawyers for for doing so and yeah i mean they, they just naturally go together in a way that um i think a lot of people don't understand um like re remix culture is is a thing it gets cracked down on um sort of every few years and the landscape we're in now is very different from the landscape at the start of the 90s um but yeah that kind of exuberant community production is for me is very key to to blockchain um art the kind of collaboration like so much of my work is collaboration or commission or inspiration yeah it's sort of that's and, definitely there and, and creative commons exists to um to sort of make sure that you don't have to worry about the the copyright law side of things when you're engaging in that kind of creativity and for me that's that's you know that's a massively good thing i mean if if your livelihood depends on copyright then you know that's fine go and do your thing but um yeah if, if you wish to have this kind of playful remix um culture then creative commons is absolutely the best tool legally speaking, for doing that kind of thing, in my personal opinion. Um, disclosure, I'm a former CC employee, but I, I worked for them because I like them, um, not, not the other way around. And so, yeah, you, you, you can create the, the sort of sharing, um, remixing communities. And then the thing that NFTs make very different from sharing um, on, on platforms is you can detach sort of the reputational side of, of ownership or patronage from the possession side. So in, in, in Marxist economic terms, you're splitting the use value from the exchange value. And the, the, the use value remains with the Creative Commons licensed work. Any artist can use it. Sure, any t-shirt maker can, can use it. Um, but the the exchange value of of this sort of reputational association with quotes owning end quotes the work um, is is just delaminated from it and remains attached to the NFT. There are other models for doing it, obviously, where you you get a license with the the NFT, which allows you 
um, for example, to to you know use your CryptoKitty commercially if if you um, if if you own the token, and I think that model is also very interesting. Um, although, as Seth Green has recently discovered, <laughs> then there may be sort of some technical considerations around making sure that you secure your right to use your your NFT imagery. But yeah, I mean, for, for me. Um, the 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 worlds of the commons and of the the uh, of, of blockchain property go together in complementary ways um except where they don't and i'm not particularly interested in the areas where they don't except to head off you know potential problems for for creatives because uh, i don't want artists to have trouble with with technology or the law that's not and, you know, I think we should emphasize that this was a core tenant of the developers of the protocols as well. You know, Dogecoin being a, a fork of Bitcoin and Litecoin as yes, well. Yes, yes. Um, you know, Tron yeah, that, being... That, yeah, that, yeah. That free, yeah, that free software model of forking code, um, taking a copy of a, a code base to improve and vary it is absolutely key to it. And it's been wonderful seeing the, the social... The frankly political norms of free software inform blockchain development to the point where people simply do not trust proprietary code in blockchain projects as they shouldn't. Um, I've worked on blockchain projects which have had a sort of, we're going to work on this and debug it privately and then we will release it kind of model and, and that's, I can understand why we did it like that. Um, but yeah, sort of the norm of working in the open is amazing and so productive. And it's it's sort of to sort of to be extremely political from um, it's a product of freedom, um, yeah. the, the freedom to use, modify, and share the, the software. And and sort of that this seems very abstract, but yeah, the, the practical benefit of it is the the open source model of working in the open forking projects and sort of not being able to cash out of the chain of value that um, projects hand down to each other. So, um, yeah, they, I, I would definitely agree that there's, there's a sort of that same spirit of freedom and, and sharing in there. I'd like to move now to uh, your, your work with Ethereum and kind of the conceptual possibilities that the smart contract allowed you to explore. Yes, yeah. So I, I, I learned software development um, at art school and I, I worked in industry for some years. So um, like I, I didn't have to look at Ethereum and say, oh God, I don't know how to program. I've now got to learn three different programming languages. I just looked at it and said, oh God, this should be a more functional programming language than it is. Oh, well. Um, and dropped um, first, I think, was it Sliver? And then LLL and then finally Solidity into my mental model of where SQL, uh, where SQL would go in, in a web application. And, and this has served me well. And um, just the ability to structure these kinds of representations of aesthetic and social phenomena, which is very airy, but like of being able to make something artistic in the same medium that people would pay for it or interact with it 
or achieve governance over it just absolutely fascinated me. And I was very sort of carefully anti-commercial in the early work. So there are, I think it's only the last one in that series where you actually have to put any, I know there's a couple before it actually, sorry, where you do have to put ether into it, but it's very clearly part of the conceptual scheme. And yeah, I just started with the simplest possible thing I could think of, which was one bit of information. And I started with the simplest possible governance scheme I could think of, which is anyone can send a transaction at any time. Then we're all, we're all friends here. We, we all have sufficient capital and education and connectivity to be able to access the blockchain. And you can already hear sort of all, all of the things I'm saying, which simply don't add up when you, you say, okay, but this we you're talking about, who's the, who's the we? It's like not, you know, very few people can currently get any ether or access the blockchain. Are you sure this is as, as open and democratic as you're asking, at which point I just sort of look very enigmatic go mm, yes that, that's an interesting question anyway so uh marrying up simple uh simple information with simple governments with simple aesthetics um a very simple thing to do in art is the old 1960s conceptual art trick of saying i'm an artist anything i say is art is art and i nominate uh that cardboard box as art and um, sort of at the time, everyone just goes, it's a cardboard box, why? But then it gets sucked into the machinery of art history and it sells for $10 million at auction 50 years later. But um, yeah, so I, I sort of put together nominations, single bit of information, um, simple governance, and, and did a little contract called Is Art, which you, anyone of you in the public can make, tell the world that this contract is art or not art and it will update its display on the internet to say this contract is art or this contract is not art and rather than the mere whim of an artist asserting that this is art this is a, a fact stored on chain and secured by uh, a considerable amount of the Earth's computing resources. So um, I, I feel this is much, much better than simply Duchamp pointing at a, a piece of plumbing and saying, oh, this is art now. So um, that's that sort of spirit of um, trying to appeal to, to art world thought um, in order to sort of direct critical attention carried on through sort of more and more complex works there's um there's a palette that you can vote for colors in there's a um there's a system that you can define uh what art is in exchange for more and more and more ether for how long you want the the definition to hold and so the, the complexity of the amount of information stored and the um the, the sort of aesthetic or historical inf um, information stored and how you have to interact 
with with the, the information in order to control it or to govern it. I sort of increased this and increased this and increased this. And um, when I say increased it, it, it's like still trivial amounts of information compared to the average DAO in the year 2022. But at the time, it was more complex than the, um, hey, here's a token. Hey, here's a name registry kind of examples that were on the Ethereum website. And the, the, the sort of, sticking to the minimalism as the rest of the Ethereum world got more complex was deliberate in order to just remain for people to remain focused on what what each what each piece was doing. I'm very interested uh, in your take on you know kind of all of this being sucked into the the commercial machine of the art world. Um, it, it was inevitable. My, my initial mental model for the possibility of blockchain art was conceptual art, which was um, fairly resistant to the, the commercial art world at the start. This isn't to say people didn't try to sell the work or didn't travel and exhibit, but it, 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 the work presented a problem to the smooth functioning of the machinery of exhibiting, selling and collecting art due to sometimes simply not existing. Um, but the, Eventually, the art world sort of got its head around this, and now you, you buy and sell certificates for conceptual art with no trouble at all, and you sort of you know hire the estates of artists to come along and, and draw things on your wall for you to make sure that you um, are actually exhibiting a real wall drawing by a conceptual artist and not just some random example of following the instructions. And so I, I knew that the, the commercial art world would sort of you know, recuperate um, the, any successful blockchain art scene. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. It certainly doesn't disappoint me. Uh, I'm deeply relaxed with artists getting paid for their work. Uh, and I don't mind if it is more than minimum wage. Um, I think everyone should be paid for their labor and, you know, sort of a living wage is a thing but in the case of artists in particular um so the, the the focus on early work has been interesting sort of as someone who accidentally produced early work sort of people saying hey can you sell me this and I'm like I'm, I'm not sure that I actually have the cryptographic keys that control that anymore let me check um but yeah I mean sort of the first one I sold was the first work I sold at auction rather was um uh the secret artwork via Sotheby's and sort of the, mon the money was nice. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I sort of went to bed the night before with the little um, e-paper screen I'd set up to track the price because I'm a huge nerd. Showing one value, woke up the next morning and looked at it and thought the price had gone down because I'd missed it. It had actually gone up by an order of magnitude. Um, so that, that was nice. Um, it helped me pay my taxes. But um, the critical attention was amazing. Getting people from Sotheby's who are extremely literate in precisely the art history that I was trying to hook this into. And so could say, oh, you're referring to this. And I was like, yes, yes, thank you. You know, it's like people don't have to get this, but um, having a sort of, um, and, and I've always spoken to people who have sort of um, exhibited or curated my work and they've always had a good view into it, but just getting these sort of, um, you know, extremely traditional art world um, 
understanding some of what was going on was disturbingly validating for someone who spent a while LARPing as an anti-art world um, and activist. So, yeah. And I have to give them credit that that first Sotheby's curated sale was an exceptional example, very well researched, yes. um, yeah. tremendous artists. And uh, I think Certainly, certainly a, a major in historic. Yeah, moment. I mean, I mean that, that that's down in no small part to Robert Alice, who um, sort of did amazing work um, for that. So yeah, that, that was um, a successful realization of a, of a good idea, definitely. So in the remaining minutes we have, you know, I'd love to to hear your your thoughts on the future of where this is going um, and the types of problems that are concerning. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. So it, it looks like we're facing another crypto winter. Um, and I'm sure that people will continue building and making art through that as, as they have. And we're seeing sort of more privacy based systems coming in and more um, sort of more collaborative um, DAO systems. So I think um, it, it's it, all of all of these pressures will lead to a new underground NFT art scene, a new underground art world block scene, which will be absolutely um, fascinating to see and will surprise and disturb and disappoint and excite everyone in, in equal measure. Um, I think that we're going to see people following price charts less and um, digging more inside um, the, the art that they, they previously just followed the chart of, which is going to be very, very good for establishing art historical value for, for people who have produced very good work um, for whatever value of good people are, are willing to entertain, but who have been sort of painted unfairly by the, the mainstream reaction to NFTs as, oh, it's just all pictures of animals or, oh, it's $100 million for a JPEG or, or whatever this week's misunderstanding of NFTs is. And so, yeah, I I'd sort of, you know, I, I hope that not too many artists lose too much money to the crypto winter and that sort of they can carry on making interesting art if this is the medium for them and that they can start to get the recognition they need if that's what they want and if not they can drop off the, the radar take their work back underground and do so in a sort of zero knowledge DAO which will produce strange new forms that we can all come to love you know, if I have faith in anything, it's in the resiliency of the crypto community, um, the the artists <laughs> yes, and the yes. developers who have been attracted to the media. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you know, uh, I'm interested in, as well in seeing you know where this all goes, who decides to stick around, yes. who has been so yeah. uh, captivated by by the form um, to continue to explore and express themselves through it, uh, and then maybe time for one final question. Any any take on the uh, the PFP phenomenon? Um, so I, I didn't I didn't you know again I didn't <laughs> understand the punks. Um, yeah. I, I I I'm from like recently I'm from Vancouver, so I was on stage after the Crypto Kitties team 
the week they quote broke the Ethereum blockchain end quotes and they were very nice people and stayed for my talk and I've, I've since worked for them I should I should mention um so I've sort of watched this build up into sort of ape mania and I um I sort of like them. I, I don't view them as a failure to do one-on-one art. I view them as an interesting way to do a new kind of social iconography. So I view them more as like masks for uh, ritual or, or drama or you know masked ball kind of stuff. So they are, they are sort of... T- tokens of belonging and play and expressions of an attitude and if you look at them as a sort of an aesthetic spread over 10,000 tokens um and and sort of as a focus of like a, a you know secret society or cult in the positive sort of roman sense or um then people listen to this please do not misquote me on that i mean it's in a very specific anthropological sense um but yeah they're, they're these interesting visual artifacts with a definite social purpose that make a lot more sense if you sort of step back and look at the ten thousand of them at the same time rather than looking at sort of two animals looking to the left looking bored and saying well i can't really see that much difference between these i don't understand why someone would by this sort of step back, look at all of them, look at what people are doing with them, look at the very definite visual qualities they have, often a very interestingly anti-aesthetic aesthetic to them. And sort of whether there is any lasting cultural or art historical value in there is not for me to say, because I simply haven't dug into that and I have friends who make them, so I, I don't want to be mean um to anyone or boosting to anyone but yes yeah, step, step back look at the the way the aesthetics feature into it and then you'll get a better feel for what is going on there and once you have a better feel for what's going on there you're better placed to actually evaluate it yeah I, I just personally find it fascinating how something that was born of so much individual sovereignty and power kind of yes prop, propagated yeah. out uh, to build these yeah it's, it's 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 like alan moore's objection at, to the end of the movie of eva vendetta it's like yeah, nothing says anarchy like all wearing the same mask although um, nothing says anarchy like the black block and so that sort of anim- um, anonymous belonging to a sort of a larger phenomenon can actually be liberating in various interesting ways. But yeah, there, there's always contradictions and blockchain space is no, is no exception to this. So as we wrap, I'd love for uh, you to share where people can find you and uh, if they'd like to connect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I love talking about stuff, so do please connect. I am on Twitter as Reaplex. That's R-H-E-A-P-L-E-X. And you can find my art and stuff on the web at rea.art. Super. Rhea, thank you so much for the time. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm Colborn Bell again with uh, Deminti. Um, thank you. Breaking news. I'm <laughs> sorry.